0: Yes, as many of you guys know, um, I've spent the uh, remainder of the last week or so. We left uh, last Thursday morning at four in the morning after the baptism celebration. Which by the way, how many of you guys were out at the ranch last week? Wasn't that just amazing? Amazing. If, if you were, if you're here tonight and you got baptized last week, could you just stand for us just so we can recognize you guys who got baptized last week? And Tootie's back in the back. Let's give it up for those guys. Yeah. So I, I went to San Diego, my wife and Avery, and um, originally we were calling it a vacation. And uh, I know the Kings are here tonight, and, and Mike and Kendra, maybe you guys can affirm this, but what I've realized as a young parent is, uh, and I know many other parents are here, is that when you, when you go, when you take a trip with your kids, it's amazing, right? Like, such an amazing experience. I got to watch Avery at SeaWorld and the San Diego Zoo and on the beach. But it's far from a vacation, you know what I'm saying? Like... And so I redefined it and I called it a family trip, right? So, so me and Heidi and Avery when I, is that, do I get an amen? Yeah, yeah. And it's awesome, right? But it's not a vacation, you know? So I'm, we left it, we left it 3.45 San Diego time this morning, just got back here at 2.30 today and I'm excited about being with you guys tonight, back from my family trip. So, I hope you guys are ready to go. Here, here, here's, here's what we've been doing. If you're just joining us here tonight, uh, we spent about 18 months in the book of Genesis when we first started Matthias's lot. Since then, we've spent 21 months in the Gospel of Luke. I know that it seems long, um, but for many of us, it's been like this whole new journey of of reading a Gospel verse by verse. You begin to notice things and pull things out that you never would have before. And so for many of us, this journey has been just that. Now, all of this study to get to the final days of Jesus... And like the key, I wish the keyboard was here, you know, to give me like some dramatic, you know. But literally, all of this study, all of these weeks, and now we're there. The final days of Christ. And guess what? We're going to be studying this, and it's not Easter, right? And it's not Passover week. And so my prayer is that as we journey through this Word, that as we look through the next several chapters, and it will still take us several more months is that we can pull afresh, that we can pull a note, that God can speak through this text, not during the Easter week, right? But here in the middle of July, in the middle of the hot summer, we can study the death and resurrection of Christ. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. Two weeks ago, before we had the baptism celebration, Jay-Z brilliantly taught Zacchaeus and how he was a wee little man. And that Zacchaeus had this, this desperation... For Christ, and last week at the baptism service, I challenged each of us to be incurably desperate. So desperate for Christ that we, that some pill and some world and some relationship couldn't cure it. Nothing could cure the desperation. And so, my friends, let me tell you something. Tonight, before we get ready to dance here in a second, tonight is much of the same idea. That nothing can cure the taste of Christ once it's landed upon our lips, that nothing can take it away—not a—not a world, not a culture, not a relationship—and so I hope you guys are with me now. In Luke 19, verse 11, shall we dance? All right, this is horrible. Like I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna have to stop doing this. Like I really thought it was cool at first. You know what I mean? Like a few weeks ago, I say, "Shall we dance?" Everyone says, "We shall," and only like three or four people are responding. In this. So can we try it again and just to make me, shall we dance? Yeah. Like, when I got on the plane at 6 in the morning San Diego time, I was thinking about that moment, how beautiful it would be. Here we go. Luke chapter 19, verse 11. I really wasn't. Forgive me, Lord. While they were listening to this, this implying that there's a connection between Zacchaeus and this story, while they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable. Now, again, a parable is a story that has, like, this base meaning, and then over the top of it, it has this... This greater meaning, this greater story that's happening. Because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. So are you guys with the context? He's going to tell a parable, a story that has this meaning on the surface and then has this greater meaning because there's people who think that the kingdom of God was going to come at once. Any of you guys ever been snorkeling? Any snorkelers here? Yeah. I, too, have been snorkeling, uh, my wife and I, on our Jamaican honeymoon, which was amazing, by the way, six years ago. Uh, right, Ben? Six years? Nice. Don't get that wrong, hubbies. You're right? Yeah. Six years ago, we went snorkeling. Now, every time that I've went snorkeling, it's been a, a planned snorkel. And what I mean by that is, like, the boat has dropped you off, and they say, snorkel here. Like, this is good, you know? So, So we go to San Diego, and I'm hanging out with some of my buddies, and they hand me some snorkel gear right and i don't know what's going on it's 7:30 in the morning the water's like 55 degrees M- many of you guys know my my fear of sharks i hate sharks okay anyone anyone here really likes sharks all right you like you can't wait to pet them okay that's not me right i don't want to pet a shark i don't want to see a shark I, don't, I mean me and sharks just don't go together and and so like they hand me the snorkel stuff and and, and they're just like all right so we'll see you out there right and i'm like whoa, whoa, whoa. like like, where's the guided boat with the music playing? You know what I mean? Like, that's what, like, when I went snorkeling on my honeymoon, like, they're playing them tunes, you know? And they're like, all right, go, go snorkeling. They're like, no, are no, like, no, we'll just, we'll just see out there a couple hundred yards out there. Yeah, there's some great fish out there. And I'm like, are you, like, are you kidding me? I just swim in the 55 degree, like, I'm going to die. You know what I mean? Like, Jaws is probably, like, circling the waters here. And so, like, needly, like I start paddling out. And I'm, I'm also not a great swimmer, all right? Fins or no fins. Have you guys ever tried those fins on? Like you feel like a merman all of a sudden, you know what I mean? Like you have those little you have those little fins on, you feel like you can swim. I'm not a good swimmer though, so I'm going out and my chest is you know just compacting because it's 55 degree water, and I and I'm like get out there and I and I stick my head under the water for the first time and I see rocks and everything. And then have you ever been out in the middle of the ocean and you literally can feel like this something big is around you, right? I just, I just had that. Now this happened to me before. Many of you guys remember a couple of years ago. Jason and I went to Florida. You guys remember the the manatee uh, story? Some of you guys have heard that story. Jason and I were throwing the ball out in the middle of the ocean. All of a sudden, a big, huge, like 800 pound manatee popped up right in my face, like this, right? So I've had, you know, they couldn't harm, harm a fly, but I had, I've had these interactions, and and so I'm like snorkeling around and just feeling weird, you know, just feeling like I'm gonna die, you know. and and all these like little goldfish are, are swimming around me, but I can't see anything. And all of a sudden, out in the middle of the ocean, I just have this great sense. Like, I know right now in this ocean what's within a perimeter of six feet from me. You know what I mean? Like, I can see about six feet on every side of me. I can see the little fish, but I have no idea what else is out there. Well, I mean, I do, right? Like, I do know what else is out there, but I don't know where it is. I don't know how close it is. And I don't know at what level it will like come in to snatch me, you know? Like, I have this reality around me, but it's not my reality at all. Are you guys with me? Like, I know where I'm at, but I really don't. Like, I know the little fish that are around me, but in actuality I have no clue. Jesus keeps talking to the individuals who are confused about the kingdom. Because they have this reality around them. They're like, yeah, yeah, like this is exact, like you're coming down, you're going to bring the kingdom with you, you're going to solve all of our problems, and then we're just all going, to, all going to go on our merry way. The problem is, they're seeing everything like six feet from them. They're still not understanding that the teachings of Jesus is the kingdom will come through me, my authority and reign. Remember guys, you guys remember the definition, sovereignty, authority, and reign, the kingdom of God will come, and then it will come again. In its fullness, in its greatness, the kingdom of God now is but a mustard seed compared to a full tree that it's, that, that, that's expounded. And so I'm sitting out there snorkeling like, I've got no idea really what's around me. And this parable is to a bunch of people who still don't get it, who are only seeing like six feet from them and not understanding the greater picture. Are you guys with me? And so he begins to tell them this parable. And we're going to, going to do some illustrations on my beautiful whiteboard tonight to help, us, uh, to help keep all of us together. Verse 12 says this. He said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I... Come back now. It's very important tonight that every single one of us understand this parable. Uh, How many of you guys have ever read the don't raise your hand have ever read the parable of the talents in Matthew 25? It's a similar parable, but there's some deeper meaning here. And a lot of times I feel like we read the scriptures like we're like we're drive by. Uh, How many of you guys in high school had the cruise trip? Right? Did you guys have the cruise trip? Okay, yeah. I mean, if you didn't, you were missing out. The cruise trip was money. You know what I mean? But in the cruise trip, like, you really don't take things in. You're just kind of like driving by. And I feel like that's the way, that's the way we read the Word. We're kind of like drive-by, you know, we're just giving our peace and making sure people can see our 92 Pontiac Blue Sunfire, which is the car I had in high school. Holler, you know what I mean? White rim tires, it was money. Tonight, we're not just going to do a drive-by. And so there's a king of noble birth who's represented by my beautiful stick man, all right? And he's, the Scripture says that he's going away I'm gonna do my best here at a crown to get some type of, uh, kingdom. These are jewels or, you know, something that kings would wear on the, is that an okay crown, girls? Okay, you guys wear those at prom and stuff or whatever, I don't know. And the scripture says that he has ten servants, that he calls ten servants to him. He's gonna be going to a distant country to win his kingdomship or to, to gain his kingdomship. And so he calls ten servants. I'm going to draw three because the the Scripture will later uh, refer to three. So he calls three servants to him. And he gives them all a mina. This little imagination thing above their head represents a mina. Now, a mina is about 90 days worth of wages, or quick math, three months. So he gives them all one mina, 90 days of wages. And he says, put this to work. And what's the passage say? Until what? Until what? Until I come back I'm going to a distant country And I'm going to bring my crown back I'm going to become a king And put this money to Work Until I come back Now in verse 14 it says this But his subjects hated him And sent a delegation After him to say We don't want this man To be our king Now If you're doing a drive by of this passage You miss it You just completely miss the meaning you read this passage and you move on, and you don't understand anything of what Jesus is saying. All of a sudden, he says there is this del- whoa sniper. There's this delegation. I'm going to represent it just by a few people here. There's this delegation, and they're going to go and try to stop the kingship. Now, King Herod the Great had a little son named Archelaus, and in 4 BC, this is interesting. In 4 BC, Archelaus had to go to Rome to have the uh, Caesar Augustus there approve of his kingship of Judea, which is interesting now that Jesus would say a parable, begin it kind kind of in general terms, and then all of a sudden connect on this cultural level, all of a sudden connect on a level where people would know, because in the story of Archelaus, he goes to a distant country to get his kingship, and people Naturally, Jews don't want Him to be king. So what do they do? They send a delegation to stop His kingdom reign. Over and over and over in the Scriptures, the prophets use culture to speak to people. Over and over and over in the Gospels and in Paul's writings and in Peter's writings, they use stories and the things of the day to connect with people on a different level. I'm fearful that many of you are fearful of relationships in general because you don't know what to say. Have you guys there? Like random people scare you because you have no idea what you would say. This is you, many of you, right? Like you, you the, the, the cashier at Walmart. Like to engage her in a legitimate, real conversation freaks you out because you you have no idea what you would say. You've, you, I mean, you've never met them. The problem is, friends, that, that we haven't learned how to ask questions. And I've talked about this many times, that humility and asking questions go hand in hand. Can I tell you something about the American population? They love to talk about themselves. And so what I've learned in my experience, and it was proven again this week, yesterday we were eating at a new restaurant in San Diego. It's called, uh, what's it called, Honey? Oscars, whatever the name is, they have amazing breadsticks. I don't even remember the name, but they had these, these fatty, and I got some nacho cheese that was money. And, and, I, and I walk in, and I, the manager comes up to He's like handing out breadsticks, and so he kind of goes off to the corner, and I'm interested to learn more about, the, more about the restaurant. And so I walk up to him, and I ask him one question. I say, hey, Andrew, so tell me about how you got connected with uh, whatever, Charlie Good Breadstick Restaurant, you know? Nine minutes later, this guy is still talking and I've asked one question. And then he brings out free nacho cheese. Yeah, I didn't ask for it. Listen, listen. Then he brings out ribs. Alright, he just brings them to our table. He says, you know what, I just thought just thought it would be nice to kind of treat you guys with some free ribs tonight. I'm like, are you kidding me? And, and we're all laughing, right? Because... All that I did was ask this guy one question. Well, what I've learned from my friends is that the American population love to talk about themselves. And so when you use culture, in this guy's case, it was his job, his occupation. When I gave him an opportunity to talk about what he does, his eyes lit up. The problem is you and I, we don't know how to engage people because we don't know how to ask questions because we want to be the ones answering questions. We want to be the ones that people are asking us. So what do you do, Mark? So tell me what you're learning, Mark. So tell me about your life and your kids and your wife. If you're waiting on that, let me tell you something. It won't come. Oh, Of course it will in this circle. But as far as engaging culture... If you're interested in engaging culture in a way that Jesus does over and over and over by using the things of the day to connect on a way different level, then we better start asking people questions. So tell me about yourself. Like, what do you do? I'm sitting in an airplane, right? And I've got 85-year-old woman sitting next to me. It's awesome. Great opportunity just to engage and to ask questions over and over and over in the Scriptures. And the problem is, friends, I think we as Christians have seen ourselves as, you know, no, no, no. We just need to hide under a rock and just and just take our Bible with us, you know, and just sing kumbaya all day. And we'll never get out and we'll just protect ourselves. And I'm not saying that the culture is great and that we should just run out and just give the culture a big bear hug and just adhere to all the things of the day. But what I am saying is that Jesus knows His land. He knows the history. He knows what people understand. He knows what they talk about. And over and over and over, He uses things like that. Now, I'm not saying that we should all just become learned on American Idol, right? I'm not, all, I'm, I'm not saying that all of a sudden we should, we should watch you know, MTV all day. That's not what I'm implying. But what I'm implying, friends, is that we better start connecting culture and engagement and humility and questions. And we'll be amazed at the relationships that will start to spur. I'm not saying every time you're going to score free ribs, right? Like, not, like the Walmart lady can't, can't give you that, you know? Right? In fact, she'll probably get in trouble even if she gives you free gum. But that's not the point, is it? The point is that one by one, we're showing people that we as Christians really care. Not about ourselves, but about something more. And so Jesus uses a story of the day that they would understand to share this deeper truth and then take it all the way to a new level. Verse 15. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. So he comes back. He's been made king. And then he calls for these guys. He wants to find out what these guys made, what they did with their money. Because remember, he said, take this money, put it to work until I come back. And now he's come back. The first one came and said, sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of, what's the word? Ten cities. This guy comes back, alright, and he says that the mina became ten more. So thirty days worth of wages times ten is, Jamie, three hundred, alright, thank you. And then, very interestingly, the king says, now you get ten cities. It seems a little bit unreasonable, doesn't it? It's like, are you kidding me? Like you're, he's gonna score that much? In the parable, it's to represent something Much greater, which we'll get to here in a second. Verse 18. The second came back and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of how many cities? Five cities. So this guy comes back and says, I've earned five. And so the king says, You take charge of five cities. The last guy, not so much. Look at this. Verse 20, then another servant came and said, sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. So the first two guys take the approach of, I better listen to what the king or the future king says. The last guy, I'm going to try to make a mina wrapped in a piece of cloth, says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take this mina and I'm going to creatively wrap it in a piece of fine cloth. In a cro- crochet. What do they call that? No. What are the, the things that people knit? What are the Bonnet. We'll go with that. I'm going to wrap it in a bonnet. You weren't helping, so I just got to pick something. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. Listen, verse, uh, verse 21. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you do not put in and reap what you do not sow. Does this guy think for a second that this guy is worth following? Or that he's going to be a king? No. He takes his words and says, those words mean nothing to me. I'm going to keep it and I'm going to wrap it in a little cloth. And the reality is, I don't think that you're coming back. I don't think that you're ever returning And so it doesn't matter what I do with this mina. In fact, I could care less what I do with this mina. Problem is, the king doesn't look at it like that. Verse 21, or verse 22. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, which is awesome. In Jesus' parable here, he uses kind of a shift of truth. You wicked servant, you knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Notice that He doesn't affirm it. He just places it as a question. You know, did you, that I'm a hard man? Look look at verse 23. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Now again, Jesus is using the times of the day to speak a very truthful message. This mina, in the times of ancient Israel, interest rates, my friends, were much better than they are now. In a general savings account that we have in our day, Brzezinski, are you in here? Like, what's a, if I put take my cash and I throw it in the savings account? What's the APR? Is that the right? What's the annual percentage rate that I'll get? Low. Okay, I was looking for a, a number. What's one percent? Okay, which we I'm not a banker, okay, or a mathematician. That's low, okay. So I put a thousand bucks in, and over the course of a year, right, Jamie, it will it will make what ten bucks, okay? That's that's not good. Now, in ancient Israel, the percentage rates were high. Why? Because tax rates were high. Why? Because money was hard to come by. So, if you had money to loan, to give up, then a year later you could come back and your money was so much more. Even in this case in the parable, he says ten minas, or a mina becomes ten more. That's a lot, my friends. The interest rate is high. So the king says, If you did think that I was a hard man, and that I would reap what I didn't sow then why didn't you just not do any work and throw it in the savings account? Like, are you are you that ignorant? No. He's not that ignorant. He's that lack of trusting. He's that lack of following. He's that, I don't think you're going to be king. Then the master responds with this. Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And the verse 25, Sir, they said, he already has ten. So what happens is, is the king says, take your mina, and give it to this guy, who already has ten more. So this guy is just scoring big time now. When you step back from this story, and we look at this picture, this beautiful artwork picture, can we agree, that there is a stark difference between these two guys and between this guy. How many of you guys have ever seen the movie We Were Soldiers? We Were Soldiers? A lot of you guys have seen it. Um, a few of you guys know the story. But uh, Mel Gibson, who also plays uh, Braveheart, right? Maybe you guys have seen that movie. In the, the movie We Were Soldiers, Mel Gibson plays a uh, general by the name of General Hal Moore. And it's an amazing movie. It's a picture of of him, it's based upon a book, We Were Soldiers Once and Young, that General Hal Moore wrote about the very first battle in Vietnam. Two weeks ago on a Wednesday night, I'd gotten home from church and I was watching Hal Moore on this interview. And I was watching him, now 86 years old, weep over his men. I was watching the real Hal Moore, like the real guy who fought with his troops, 400 on 2,000. I was watching him say, no matter what the war was in my life, every single one of my men came home. Every single one of them. And I'm watching this like grandpa figure. And I'm just hanging on every word. I'm hanging on every... Like, I can't get enough. I'm like rewriting like, this, this, the Discovery Channel. And I, just, I can't get enough of Hal Moore. Like, I go to bed, and I'm like, Heidi, you don't understand what I just watched. I just watched a thing about Hal Moore, and it was amazing. And, he, we were so, and I was connecting, and I just couldn't stop talking. Like I was so excited, because I'm so, it just takes me a lot to get excited. And so, yeah. And so I woke up Thursday, and I was like, I need to talk to Hal Moore. Like, I just, I got, I got Hal Moore and I need to talk. There's an entire book written about his walk with God. In the movie, in fact, it portrays him praying with his kids. In my mind, on that Thursday morning, Hal Moore, like, sweats out more wisdom than I'll ever have. And so I'm like, I need, I need to talk to Hal Moore. And so I think about it all weekend, and then Monday morning I get in the office, and I tell Bree Bird, I'm like, hey, I did some research, and I need to talk to Hal Moore. Can you find his number? You know? Knowing that that would be a very easy thing to do. Just get on the internet, Hal Moore's number on Google, you know? It comes up, you know. So after some research, we find this number. Auburn, Alabama. This random, you know, this random number. And, uh, and, and I get back from lunch and there's this number sitting on my desk. And I, I pick up the phone and I call the number. And second ring, a guy answers. Hello is, and you, you know, I don't know like what to ask for. Like, because he's like general, colonel, amazing, biggest military stud. Like, what do you say? You know what I mean? So I went with General. Hello, is General Hal Moore there? And he goes, "This is he." Now, I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments where you, s- <laughs> you you just don't know what to say. You know, I really wasn't expecting to talk to Hal Moore in that moment. You know, I hadn't really thought through the whole process. You know, I was like, "This would be cool. I'll call the number. I'll get an answer machine. Hey guys, I think I maybe called Hal Moore's number." You know. And all of a sudden, I'm talking to Hal Moore, the general that Mel Gibson plays in a movie, the writer of a New York Times bestseller book, like this guy that I've come just to respect. And so I start asking him questions. And then at the end of our amazing conversation, we're in the conversation, he, he said, Mark, you actually call me Reverend the whole conversation, right? <laughs> I expect all of you to do the same from now on. No, please don't ever. I was like, you're calling me Reverend? Like, I don't even. Like, what does that mean I should call you? You know what I mean? Like, what? At the end of our conversation, he, he said, Mark, I'm a Reverend. He said, I'm dying. And, he, and my, my desire, and I asked him several times, I said, How? Uh, I want to fly down and I need two hours of your time. I just want to sit and hear you talk and listen. Words. I, I just want to hear. And, and over and over and over, he kept saying, Mark, um, I'm dying, and I don't know if this will happen. But he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write me a letter, put all of your information in it, and, and if I get enough strength in the next few weeks, I'll call you. You can come down and we can hang. And then we talked about some family some more. And listen to this. The, the, the music was starting to build, right? In the very end of the conversation, he says, Reverend, may God be with you. And I felt like it was Charlton Heston on the Ten Commandments. You know what I mean? Like I just like let it echo in the phone and I was like, May God be with you, you know, and I just But what happened was is I found myself taking this man how more amazing man incredible things that he's accomplished in his life. And I found myself hanging on every word. I couldn't wait to hear another word. I couldn't wait like just to, for him to whisper another word through his weak breath. The picture that Jesus gives us in this story is that there's two individuals who crave the word of a king. Is that there's two individuals who think that the word of the king is good. Who thinks that the very words that utter from the mouth of a king are life-breathing, and the other, they mean nothing. My friends. Can I share something with you all? I fear that we've forgotten what it means to follow Jesus. Seems like a big statement, doesn't it? I fear that we've forgotten what it means to follow the King who came down, lived and died, and Philippians said return home, and that God gave him the name that is above every other name. This is the picture of Christ. He came and lived. He said, here is the gospel. Here, Make every effort to take this gospel to the ends of the earth. I will be your empower. I will be your great strength. And do it until what? Until I come back. Don't tire, Scripture says, in another place. Let us always be persevering, Scripture says, in another place. And then when He comes back, in this time period that's between, I fear that we've forgotten what it means to follow Him. Now, what do I mean by that? I was thinking about my own life. And how quickly we just do the Christian thing. And it's like this organic thing that's called a thing. And we know what it looks like. And we know what to say. And we know what motions to make. And that becomes the thing that we're following. And those are the words that we come to to, to adhere to. It's the words of a church community. Or it's the words of a great prophet or pastor. Or it's the words of a great leader. Or it's the words of a great friend. And all the while, we forget what it means to hang on every word of the great king. We said, here, go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all these commands. And do this until I come back. And what do we do with those words? What do you and I do with those words? I sat back three days ago and asked myself, am I a follower of Christ or am I a follower of Mark Sigma? Am I really a follower of the King? Hanging on every word. Cause how more? I can guarantee you. When I, when I was on that phone, like every word, I was just, I, I was writing it all down. I couldn't get enough. It meant something. To this guy, it means nothing. To this guy, the words of the King mean absolutely nothing. To these guys, it means something. Now I want to, I want to bring your attention to something. That's very interesting. This next verse says this. Verse 20, 26. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. Prosperity gospel people take that verse, and what do they do? Oh yeah, this is sweet, perfect. He who ever has a lot will be given more. This will be awesome. I believe this passage has two meanings. Look at this. They come back and they tell the king, I made ten minus and I made five minus. And what does the king say, everybody? I now put you what? In charge of what? Ten cities and five cities. And he uses the word charge. In other words, it's as if to say You've been faithful with what you've been given. And so guess what? More responsibility will be given. More weight of the gospel will be shared. You will be used by me, empowered by me, glorified to me, through me, because of the faithfulness that I've implanted in you. And so to whom more is given... More will be expected. More will be blessed. It's the more of faithfulness. It's the more of following. It's not so monetary, I gain ten and I'll get a hundred back. It's, you know what, church? He said, go and make disciples. And as we see more and more disciples being made, we see in the early church of Acts, God was adding daily to their number, my friends. Now, I think there's a second possible meaning, and I think both are true. Is that what he's saying? Is that to more, the more who have, more will be given? It's that you have the kingdom. And the kingdom now is but a mustard seed. And so you have a lot now. The hope of Christ. The blessedness of a Creator. The sanctification of a Savior. But you have no idea what it will be like when my Son returns. The more who have, more will be given. And then he says some disheartening words for the other guy. Verse 27. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them bring them here and what does your Bible say? Kill them in front of me. Jesus is entering the the last days of his life and he ends this parable on a high note, doesn't he? These guys... These guys craved every word. They craved every minute. But this guy, this guy took the words of the great king and said, they don't matter. They're not significant. I don't believe. I don't trust. And so I'm going to live however I want. And then unexpectedly, like we've seen over and over and over in the Gospels, the king shows up. Honey, I'm home. Right? And all of a sudden it's too late. Now in Matthew, you guys guys know what the passage is after this story? It's the sheep and the goats. The separation of the righteous and the unrighteous. My friends, can I ask you guys a question? Can I ask myself a question tonight? Are we following Jesus? Or are we following something else? Are we following Christ? The King? Are His words... Just causing us to wait in anticipation. We can't wait for another word. We can't wait to open His words because His words as King just permeates. If that is you and if that is me, then the reality is, is this time period in between the King coming and gaining His crown looks a lot like this. Joy. Hope. Watching lives change. And when Christ returns, what does he say to the first servant? Well done. Not because you do it, you did it, but because you accepted the fact that I already did it for you. So come on now. Church, the call is to follow Christ. Not some image that we can like grasp out here. Not some thing organically that one day we'll get to. The call for us as a church is is to say, Jesus, where are you going? And that's where I want to go. The problem is in the gospels, over and over and over, especially in Luke, they're waiting for the kingdom. They're waiting for the splendor of the kingdom. In their minds heaven, in their minds the destruction of Rome. And all the while they miss Jesus. Are you missing Jesus, my friends? Everything else is great. You're waiting on the free ticket to heaven, and in the meantime, just doing your thing. All the while, friends, are you missing Christ? And if you are, then you're missing all you've got. The call is to hang and cling to the words of Jesus, the great King, who called you and I to leave everything and to come and what? Follow me. That's the message of the kingdom. That's the message of two servants who come back and say, I've been faithful with what you've been given. That's the message, my friends, of the gospel. Let's pray. God, we're just uh, humbled by the fact that we get so easily distracted. We take your words so frivolously at times. We take the words of men and exalt them to a place where they shouldn't. God, I ask for this church on this night and for the coming days that we will live that Your words are all that we need. That Your truth is all that we seek. That leaving and shedding what so easily hinders us is our desire so that we can properly share the Gospel, preach the truth. Love those around us. God, I pray that you help us in this room simplify the truth. Love and love. And God, I ask that by your power and by your spirit that you'll help us follow you. Let's stand and respond to Christ tonight.